this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Great, thanks John. Well, good morning. It's great to see you, particularly if you're uh, visiting us this morning. A very warm welcome to you. Looking around, the number of faces I don't recognise. That may just be my ageing memory. Uh, it may be you're with us for the first time. It's really so good to, to have you with us. Uh, there's a, a video that I'd like to show you in a moment. But before I do that, just to uh, comment on something that Kevin shared earlier. It's so good to uh, hear what's happening with Faith, Hope and Enterprise and the folk that, uh, that he's working with. And uh, just so you know, the offering that we're going to take at the carol service is going to go towards Faith, Hope and Enterprise uh, and blessing those guys over Christmas. Okay, so I'm telling you that now so you can think ahead of time. And uh, if you come at the carol service, we'll take an offering uh, on that evening and uh, we'll give it all into Faith, Hope and Enterprise. Okay, so please pray about that. Please come prepared uh, to give into that in December. Now, one of the things that we want to do as a church is make a difference in this city and make a difference where we live. Amen? We want to love people who don't know Jesus yet, love people who are far from God, to serve the city, to serve the places that we live, work, uh, and uh, are around in. And uh, one of the ways we can do that is is through faith, hope, and enterprise. Uh, Another way that increasingly is on our radar as a church uh, is to be involved in the whole area of fostering and adoption. And uh, this, uh, this Sunday in the UK is called Adoption Sunday. And uh, there's a charity called Home for Good that we support uh, who are encouraging church communities right across the land today particularly uh, to think and pray about this subject. And we want to show you a little video about that right now. So thank you, Tim, and uh, thank you, Brad. I'm Ryan and I'm going to be 14 soon. First time I was taken into care, I was two. I don't remember much, but there was a photo of me at the beach eating ice cream. I look happy. I went back to mum for a few years, but she got a boyfriend. 
I had to leave after my teacher saw the bruises. I lived with a few different families. And when I was 10, they decided I probably couldn't go back to my mum because of the boyfriend. I live with Ross and Helen now, and they say I can stay with them forever. I still get to see my mum sometimes. I love Sam. When I'm angry, we go for a run together. I am Alyssa and soon I will be sick. I like to dance and I like the trampoline best of all. I also like to paint and at school I like it when we go outside. I have two brothers and they are two, they are twins. When my brothers were born we came to live with Ken and Anne and they look after us. I like dinner time because Ken cooks good food. I'm hoping that when I am six, I will find my new family and live with them forever. Our social worker, Mike, is looking for them. I'm sad because I might have to go to a new school. But I am happy that we will have a forever family to love us and keep us safe. I hope they have a trampoline. Every child's story is different, but sadly for most of the children waiting to be fostered or adopted in the UK, too many of their stories include some pretty terrible things that no child should have had to see or endure. Over 70% of the children waiting have experienced neglect or abuse. And we think with your help, these children's stories could be different. We're not promising you Anna Green Gables or Despicable Me, just neat, happy endings, but we do believe with your help, their stories will be better. For some of us, that's going to involve stepping up to foster or adopt them. But for all of us, it could involve helping to make these children's lives better. What is it that you are willing to do to help? have got a part to play and uh, for some of us that is is stepping up to foster or adopt and uh, being involved hands-on as it were for all of us as a church family it's playing our part and it may be that uh, that's supporting uh, a family that are doing that it may be that it's praying and uh, encouraging them as, as they do that uh, it's great that we've got families in the church who are uh, involved in this whole area particularly and uh, thank you to those of you who I know encourage us and support us in that uh, and others who support other families as well but I think what we're learning is that we can be in this together it isn't just an individual family that's fostering or adopting but actually all of us have got a part to play in praying and supporting and being part of that wider community and that wider uh, loving family together. You got a bookmark uh, as you came in that tells you a little bit more about this. 
it's quite a stat, isn't it? 35,000 children come into care each year. It's huge, isn't it? And I honestly believe that the church has got a part to play in this. If there's one organisation, if there's one group of people in the country that should understand something of being adopted and being loved and be able to give that away, surely it should be the church. I heard Chris talk about if, if every church in the UK had just one family that adopted one child, the adoption crisis really would be over. That all the children would be out of care and adopted that needed to be. Amazing, isn't it? That the church could make that sort of difference and I really believe we could. I'd like us to pray together. There's a, there's a prayer on the back of the card. I'm going to read that out. So we're going to pray for this together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for adopting us into your family as dearly loved children. Affirm us, God our Father, as part of your great story. Lord God, we pray for all those who care for vulnerable children. Equip us, Lord God, to be part of their stories. Lord Jesus, we pray for every child whose story is painful. Encourage us, Lord Jesus, to pray and to respond, to be part of making their story better in whatever way we can. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Inspire us to be part of the story and to make a difference. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let me just make a, a final comment on this subject before we look, look at uh, God's Word together, um, which is just really practical because we've got uh, children around our, our church family who uh, are, are in care. We just need to be really careful in terms of photos and videos and things like that. And uh, we love social media. We love to be able to check in on Facebook and, and communicate during the week doing things like that. Um, but please just be so careful in terms of our gatherings together um, because we've got children who can't have their photos taken. So I just encourage you to, to be aware of that and to respect that. Would so help us, please. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're visiting us today, uh, as I said already, you're really welcome. It's so good to have you here. And uh, you joined us uh, in a series that we're looking at together uh, through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we've got to chapter 5 today. Now, one of the, uh, the good things about preaching through a series in terms of preaching through a book of the Bible is that you just hit stuff that's there. Now, those of you who have ever led Bible studies or preached or done anything like that, if you don't have that sort of structure, the temptation is always to preach your favourite bits. So I, I would just live in Acts 2. You, you just get Acts 2 every week. And uh, that would that, that, be fine as far as I can see. Uh, but actually, there's more to the scripture than that, as we know. And we're working our way through uh, Paul's letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. And, and this is where we've got to. And it starts to cover some things that, if it was just our favourite passages, we might not cover. But actually, it's just the next chapter in the book. And this is where we've got to this morning. So uh, let's read it together and uh, then we'll see what uh, the Lord has for us 
from this. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all many of the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, In that case, you would have had to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us already this morning. And as we spend this time looking at this passage together now, we pray that you'll be with us too. Help us by your spirit, Lord, to to understand what we've read and to apply it to our lives individually and corporately together. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be our teacher. Holy Spirit, come and Help us to understand your words. Pray, Lord God, that you'd be with me now as I I speak. Help me to communicate uh, well and to help us to understand together what we've read. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is not a long chapter, but it certainly packs some punches. There's certainly quite a lot in there. And uh, Paul moves on from talking about division, talking about the ministry of apostles, to tackling some other issues that he is aware of in the life of the church, namely, in this case, sexual immorality. Now, Paul speaks about some quite specifics, but what he is saying does have some wider implications as well. And so we're going to do our best in the time that's available to look at these things together. But before we get there, I want to remind us of some foundational truth that we need to have in our minds to help us understand what Paul is writing and why he's writing it. So if you were with us a few weeks ago, you remember, I hope you remember anyway, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in chapter 3, there's verse 16, and Paul says in this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And he goes on, God's temple is sacred 
And you are that temple. And do you remember if you were with us, we said that it's a corporate statement. Paul is saying to the church here that you yourselves, it's a, it's a corporate you, it's like yous. You know, we don't have it in the English language, but what he's saying applies to the church family as a whole. He's saying you together are God's temple, that God's spirit lives in you. Now, we don't have time this morning to unpack all of that, again, if you missed it or if you'd like to hear it, uh, you can download uh, the sermon from the website at jubilee.org.uk and uh, indeed the whole series is on there if that would serve you well. But we need to understand that's the foundation to what Paul is saying a little bit later in chapter 5. So Paul's statements here and indeed the, uh, the statement of the whole New Testament would be that the church is the dwelling place of God. So we need to understand that what Paul says in chapter 5 is off the back of what he's already said in chapter 3 about the church being the dwelling place of God. The church is the body of Christ. She is holy. And what Paul is talking about in chapter 5 is to do with keeping her that way. So let's work our way through, through what he says. So chapter 5, he, he starts off by saying, he's actually reported among you. So it's like he's heard. He might be away some distance, but he knows what's going on. He, he's heard it reported. You know, things have a way of getting out. And news has travelled to Paul that he's not happy about. Now we said right at the beginning of our series, and we started this uh, letter to the Corinthians, that Corinth was a city known for its sexual liberty. Perhaps the most famous temple there was one dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And her worshippers practiced religious prostitution. We'll come to that issue next week. So this was a city that loved sex. And perhaps that's like most of our cities these days, actually. But even the pagans, as Paul described them, or we, we might say the unbelievers around the Corinth church would have been shocked by what was going on inside it. So Paul says, a man has his father's wife. So it seems that Paul is referring to a, a, a man that is sleeping with his stepmother. Now, just to be really clear, the Old Testament prohibited this. And uh, even in our pretty sexually pr- promiscuous culture, that would be unusual, to say the least. It was not on. Even in the pagan Roman world, this was just a no-no. This was clearly sinful. What makes it worse was this was happening in the church. Shocking. And even worse than that, it seems from what we read here that the Corinthian church were proud of it. They weren't addressing it, they weren't dealing with it, but far from that, they seemed to be proud of what was going on. They certainly were tolerating it. Maybe they thought they were showing God's grace. Maybe they, you know, give them some some latitude perhaps. They thought they were showing God's grace to the individual. But they weren't at all. Paul writes very, very clearly what they need to do. Paul expected them to be filled with grief. He expected them to put this man out of the church fellowship. 
and they didn't. At least they hadn't done up until this point. So Paul instructs them to hand this man over to Satan. So what does that mean? That quite seems like an unusual phrase, doesn't it? What he's talking about is putting the man outside the church fellowship. We might say that's the domain of, uh, of Satan. So handing him over to him, putting him outside the fellowship of the church, outside the church community. It's interesting, isn't it? Our culture today is all about my rights. You know, what, what I've got a right to. You know, my rights or, or, or your rights. And my rights for this, that and the other. But you see, if we're not careful... We can bring that thinking into the church and think, oh, I've got a right to be part of the church family. Actually, we don't have a right. We have a privilege. We have a privilege to be part of God's family. And as any parent knows, with privileges comes responsibilities. And so in the New Testament, the church is called the body of Christ. It's called the Bride of Christ, the dwelling place of God. And all this imagery points towards something which should be holy and set apart. And so we'll come back to this thing in a moment. Well, then Paul starts to talk about yeast, doesn't he? And uh, he says in verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. So what's also about yeast? What's, what's Paul going on about? Well, according to the BBC Good Food website, so for my research, yeast is a living, single-cell organism. And as the yeast grows, it converts its food, in the form of sugar or starch, into alcohol and carbon dioxide through the process of fermentation. This makes it crucial to the making of wine and beer, as well as the process of baking, which has led to the identification of two main types of yeast, brewer's and baker's yeast. Baker's yeast is used in cookery to rise or leaven any kind of bread, whether sweet or savoury. So there you go. Thank you very much. But it doesn't take much yeast to affect the whole batch of dough. Only takes a tiny little amount, actually. And suddenly the whole batch of dough is affected. Now, the unleavened bread eaten at the Passover festival is made without yeast. And if yeast had got into that batch of dough, they'd have had to start again to make another batch without it. Because the yeast had ruined the whole batch, even though only perhaps a tiny little bit of yeast would have a massive effect on the whole batch of dough. Do you see where Paul's going with this? Paul is saying, he's using this imagery to explain how sin affects the wider body, how it affects the church together. See, our culture is so individualistic, we think it's just about me. But we forget that sin has corporate consequences too. Do you remember the Bible saying that we're all one body joined together? Well, that has negative as well as positive implications. So the church is the bride of Christ, the dwelling place of God, holy. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, Ephesians 2, 22, and in him you too are being built together 
to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The church is holy. Personal sin can have corporate consequences. So Paul wants to make it really clear that this shouldn't be tolerated in the church, the holy bride of Christ. As we've said already, it seems the Corinthians are not just tolerating it, but they were proud of it. And Paul wants to bring them back to what he's already written to them. So he's referring to a letter that we don't have recorded, so really, in effect, our 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is really 3 Corinthians, because it implies here there's a previous letter of Paul to the, to the church. And he's already said to them not to associate with sexually immoral. So, so what does he mean by that? Well, it leads us on to the whole subject, which we don't talk about an awful lot, of church discipline. So what is it, and why do it? Well, as we've said already, it's probably not a subject we talk about a lot, but it's clearly part of New Testament church life. Paul is, is saying, you need to put this man out of your fellowship. So this is as much of part of New Testament church life as any other bit we could get excited about. It's just part of, of church life for them and also for us. So Paul uses these phrases to put out a fellowship, to hand over to Satan. What does he mean? Then he goes on to instruct the Corinthians not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, before we look at what he means, let's look at what he doesn't mean. Because it's really important we understand this. What does Paul not mean? What is he not saying? Well, Paul is not talking about judging those outside the church community. Okay? So he makes it really clear in verse 10. You see, in case we weren't, weren't sure about it, he says, not at all meaning the people of this world. So we're not to judge those outside the family of faith. No, no. The Bible makes it really clear. We're to love those outside the family of faith. Okay? Makes it really clear. So one of our core values as a church is to love those who don't know Jesus yet. We want to do that really well. We want to serve people and love them really well. What did Jesus do with those who are far from God? He loved them. He engaged them in conversation. He explained God's love and mercy to them. He was happy to be around them, wasn't he? Where would you find Jesus? Probably at a party with a whole load of unsafe people. Hanging out with them, having fun, building relationships and introducing them to a God who loved them. That's what Jesus would have been doing. And that's what we need to do as well. Now, I understand that sometimes we need to make a stand on things. I get that. That's important. But when the church is known more for what it's against rather than what it's for, something's wrong. We should be known what we are for. We are for loving people. We are for demonstrating God's mercy to people. We are for extending the kingdom of God. We are for taking the broken and vulnerable and helping them back into society. We are for taking those that the world would seek to cast aside and say, yeah, we will love you, we will house you, we will work with you. 
We are for taking vulnerable children and saying, where you're not safe, where it isn't safe for you to be around, we will help you. We will work with a local authority. We will provide a home for you. We will love you and serve you and show you that there's a God who loves you. We are for those things. And dear friends, we need to be known what we're for. When the church is known more for what it's against rather than what it's for, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Have we got this right? So we should be willing to build friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet. We'll be working hard at loving them and introducing them to a God who loves them, who sent his son to die for them, and wants to show mercy and grace to them. And listen, if that's you this morning, and you might just be here with a friend, you might just be looking in, if that's you, if you're thinking, yeah, you know what, I'm not sure, I've made a commitment to Christ, I'm not sure I'd call myself a Christian, I'm not sure I'm there yet on that. Listen, this applies to you as well. You have a God who loves you, who wants to be your father, who sent his son to die for you in order that you can have a relationship with him. Christians should be the first in any social setting, I think, to walk across the room, to hold out a hand of friendship, to demonstrate God's love. So does that describe you? Does does that describe us? Are we known as those who love people no matter what, and no matter what mess their life might be in? Maybe the sort of folk that Kevin was talking about earlier. Maybe others. Now, just because they're in a mess doesn't mean we don't love them. We need to be able to love the sinner without loving the sin. See, we might not agree with somebody's lifestyle choices or decisions they've made or where they've ended up, but we can still love them. We can still demonstrate grace to them and still introduce them to a God who sent his son to die for them. And this is important as well. Neither can we expect people to clean up their lives before making a commitment to Christ. Because isn't it in making that commitment that power comes to enable you to clean up your life? As we're not saying you've got to get everything straight before you can come to Christ. No, not at all. Come to Jesus just as you are and he will help you put things straight. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Isn't that what we're for? Isn't that what we want to demonstrate and show people? So Paul is, let's be really clear, he's not talking about those who are far from God. So what is he talking about? Paul is talking about the community of believers, the church family. Paul is talking about the people that have made a clear commitment to Christ and who are part of a local church in Corinth. These are people who are saying that they're following Christ and yet they are unrepentant of their sin. And that's the issue here. The issue is one of repentance. The issue is one of heart. Paul is talking about somebody who is clearly unrepentant. Repentance really is the issue. Repentance really is what Paul is talking about. So I don't believe for one moment that Paul's talking about one individual who on one particular occasion 
fell into sin and then was terribly repentant and changed and, and followed Christ again. That doesn't appear to be what he's describing. What he's describing is more about somebody who has an unrepentant and hardened heart. Who says on one hand that they're following Christ and yet on the other hand has an unrepentant and hardened heart and doesn't want to change. And worse, Paul says that it's not just this individual that was not being dealt with appropriately, but the church in some way was proud of his sin. So what's the process? What should happen if that's the case? Well, fortunately, the Bible's really clear about it. The Bible is really clear about what we need to do. Jesus himself outlines the principle in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Same thing that, Paul, that Jesus is saying here, that Paul was saying. Paul adds this when he writes to the Galatians, and this is key for us to hear as well. Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should re- restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. The Bible's really clear. We're encouraged to be gentle. We're encouraged to seek to win the person back to repentance, to encourage them to live to that higher standard that God calls them to. John, in his first letter, says this, 1 John 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So John is talking about confession, about repentance, about a change of heart. Yes, we have a God who loves to forgive. Isn't that good news? We have a God who loves to forgive. But he's looking for repentance, looking for a change of heart, a heart that is soft before him, a heart that is confessing sin, and praying for God's grace in helping to overcome it, repenting of it and turning away. Because the repentance isn't just saying sorry, is it? To turn around of your thinking, turning in the other direction completely. God's grace and forgiveness doesn't mean we can just do what we like and say, hey, it's okay, God will forgive me. Because if that's our heart, then we've misunderstood it. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So the idea is, what we have here in Scripture, what Jesus is talking about, what Paul goes on to explain as well, is that if someone in the church family, the church community sins, then ideally that they spot it themselves and repent and deal with it before God and come back to him. If that doesn't happen, then maybe a brother or sister goes to them and encourages them gently 
think about what they've done and to repent and turn back to God. And if that doesn't happen, to take one or two others and say, hey, we love you. We're for you. We want you to be restored in your relationship with God. Can we encourage you to come back to him? And if that doesn't happen, and then take it to the church. And then, and then if that doesn't work, if someone is so unrepentant and hardened of hearts, if at that stage there's no repentance, they're entrenched in their sin, then that's, what, that's when what Paul says comes into play. They're put outside the church family, the church community. But listen, even that, that discipline isn't about punishment. It's about a hope for restoration. The hope is that the person who's put outside fellowship, who's not able to be part of the church community, in, in that happening to them, they are shocked into seeing the seriousness of their sin and go, you know what, I need to come back to God. And even at that moment, the hope is for restoration. Not for punishment, but for restoration. Always it's about a hope of restoration. It is also about protecting the church. That's what Paul is writing here. A little yeast spreads. Sin spreads. Interesting, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Paul's pretty clear about it. But just in case we haven't got a handle on it, the NIV adds a footnote and says the Greek word for brother or sister refers here to a believer, whether man or woman, as part of God's family. This is about what happens in the church community. And it's not something that is to be done lightly. It's not something to be done hastily. But it is something to be done if necessary. In a godly, prayerful and clear way. So it might not be that the issue for you is you're sleeping with your stepmother. Hopefully it isn't. But maybe you're sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe it's something else that Paul would talk about here. Maybe, well, Paul talks about sex. Maybe it's that. It's become so normal outside of marriage for you that it just seems to be what, the, what it's like. But actually the Bible has a higher standard for us to live to. So don't be fooled into thinking that just because the world has a certain standard that it should be ours. Actually, what's our standard? Well, it's what, the, what God has revealed in his word. We love his word and we take it seriously. That's why we preach through it. That's why we tackle what could be seen as difficult passages and say, no, let's see what the Bible says. We love the presence of God and his spirit and we love his word. Paul, in Acts 20, when he's saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, says this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So he says to the Ephesian elders there and to us today, be shepherds. What did shepherds do? They protected the sheep, didn't they? 
They took care of the sheep. Elders have a role to oversee, to teach, to shepherd, to love, to pastor, to protect. And friends, it's not always easy. So please pray for us as we seek to be obedient to God, to lead well and to protect and to shepherd us together. Our culture today holds up tolerance as the ultimate value, isn't it? But this isn't the Bible's opinion at all. We need to take sin seriously and obey the Bible's call to holiness. 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So, as we begin to finish, what's the conclusion to all of this? Well, firstly, let me ask you a question. Do you need to repent this morning? Do you need to come before God and and repent? And if you do, then the Bible is really clear. There is grace available to you. God loves a repentant heart. He loves a soft heart that is open to the work of his spirit, drawing you back to God. So if you this morning need to repent, I want to encourage you, repent before God and come back to him. And remember, it's more than just saying sorry. It's a turning around, going in a totally new direction. And it may be for you, depending what the issue is, that perhaps some accountability would help you. A friend who can love you and encourage you and stand with you and help you on the journey. I want to encourage you to to think about that this morning. Let's understand that the church is a holy community called together by God and with himself at the very centre. We are his body. We are his people. This is his church. Amen? So let's do all that we can do, all that is within our power to do, to maintain holiness and to maintain unity. But also, let's not be afraid of holding one another to account in love and out of relationship. Holding one another to a higher standard and encouraging each other to be all that God has called us to be in him. Those sort of difficult conversations happen best out of love and relationship, don't they? So I want to encourage us this morning to be intentional about building those sort of relationships because they don't happen overnight. We need to give one another permission to speak into our lives, to hold us accountable. So let me ask you, who is it that speaks into your life? Who is it that can ask you the difficult questions? Who is it that can challenge you when necessary? Who have you got around you that loves you enough to say, hey, the Bible has a better way. God wants to call you back to him. Who is it around you that can have those conversations with you? 
And if you can't answer that question immediately, I want to challenge you this morning to pray and to ask God who it should be. And then, in the next couple of weeks, to go to that person and to invite them to speak into your life. Perhaps the band could come up, please, as we begin to finish. I can think of a few occasions over my my life where I've gone to people particularly and said, I want to be accountable to you. I want you to speak into my life. I've heard preachers like this and thought, that's a good thing to do. I'm going to do that. And I've gone to people and said, I want you to speak into my life. I want to to be accountable to you. And I thought I'd ticked a box and done well. And I had. And a few weeks later, they come to me and say, remember that conversation we had? (laughs) I want to speak to you about something. I'm oh, okay. (laughs) And I can think of various occasions where people have said, I just want to talk to you about maybe your attitude there. That conversation you had with somebody, the way you came over, that, that wasn't great. But those conversations only happen out of love and relationship. I want to encourage you, have you got those relationships? Have you got those people around you who love you enough to challenge you when necessary? Let's stand together. I'd like us to to pray. I've asked Caroline if we can sing uh, a song now, which I'm trusting will express our hearts in this. But before we do, I just want to give a moment of quiet just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. We've looked at a lot this morning. (laughs) We've covered a whole load of stuff. But just in these moments, I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and speak into our hearts. And I want to encourage you in these few moments now, just ask him to speak to you. Is there anything that he wants to put his finger on in your life? Just be open to him speaking to you now. Is there anything this morning that you need to be repentant of? Is there a change in your mind and thinking and indeed actions that God would call you to this morning? And for all of us, the question is, Who is it that you are accountable to? Who is it that's got permission to speak into your life? Who is it that you've given an open door to to say, hey, help me be more like Jesus. Help me on this journey. And if you can't quickly answer who that is, then in these next couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to pray, ask God who it should be, and then go to them and invite that conversation. Lord Jesus, we want to say this morning that we love your church. We love the family that you've called us to be part of. And Lord, this morning we say we want to do all within our power to maintain holiness and unity and to honour you. And so God, this morning we ask you to help us with that. Lord, we say would we have a high standard of our own lives before you that we might honour you with every part of our life everything we say everything we do would that honour you Lord we, we say this morning God would you keep us close to you keep us God from drifting 
Keep us, Lord, from having values that would be influenced more by the world around us than your word. Lord, keep us so close to you that all we want to do is to honour you, to worship you, and to love you. Lord, keep us close. And Lord, we pray for one another. We, we pray for this church family we call Jubilee. We say, God, be exalted in us together. Would you find in us together this morning, your people, a place where you can dwell and you can make your home, where you are loved and honoured and obeyed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks, God. listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.